happy to be here. If you uh, if you saw the the school and uh, the work that was going on in the clinic, the uh, the video is probably a little dated right now because the school looks a little different. The the clinic's complete now. It's uh, got um, it, it's a pretty amazing building. Maybe later on, uh, Trevor and Trevor uh, can share with you some of the updated videos or pictures of the of the clinic. Well, my name is Danny Cunningham. I I looking through the crowd because I recognize some faces, but <laughs> I thought it's uh, all made over there just a while ago. I see some of you that I know and some of you that I don't know, and so uh, Luke sent me a message this morning and said, we'll talk a little bit about, <laughs> about the past, and, and uh, so I, I share a little bit with you. Um, I first came to Heritage Baptist when I was 23 years old, and I think tomorrow, the next day, I turned 65, so I've been, <laughs> been around the around this church for a little while. Uh, it, if you don't know, Heritage started from a group of people who left Big Chimney Baptist over in Big Chimney, and they come here, they got involved with uh, some folks from the Southern Baptist Convention, and, and they built a church, and uh, the original building, the original church building, was everything on the other side of that wall right there behind you backwards and uh there wasn't any basement under here of course there was no gym and uh, so my wife and i and daughters uh, we raised our children in this church we uh, um, when, I, when we first got married and of course came here and and uh, kind of watched it grow kind of helped with it growing uh, there's not much, many stages of the original construction that that I didn't do something, some part to, to help out, but that was the way it was with everyone that went to church here. We all, we all built um, the basement, the, the block, and you see the basement here was uh, laid by, by a mission team, I believe from Hickory, North Carolina, somewhere in that area. Uh, of course, uh, some of us folks here at the church helped mix all the mortar and carry all the blocks for this. Uh, the sanctuary is bigger than when I was here, and I, I really appreciate <laughs> that you pushed it a little bit farther because you see how that slope and that angle is right there in that corner? That used to be, I don't know, Paul, that was how many feet that was this, <laughs> this way, but I remember when we was putting all this in back here, it was late one evening. We'd been working forever. We was tired. And we did that one angle up there and put that in there. It went like this. <laughs> and so for years, every time I'd sit there about where you are, they'd look at that, I'd have to look at that wall. <laughs> like, so the first time I come after they changed this and did the construction, I was very happy. <laughs> God had blessed me with, with that, that mistake being taken away. So it was pretty good. But anyways, um, I left here with my family. Uh, Heritage accepted the role of uh, plant.
planning a church in Big Chimney, and so they called a, a, a gentleman here, a good friend of mine, Terry Thompson, to be the first pastor of that work, and my family and I decided that we would go help Terry and Pam with that work, and so we left here as part of Heritage Baptist Church and went there and worked where eventually I ended up as, as pastor of the church. And uh, let's see, mission-wise, uh, my wife and I and my children, we've been very involved in missions most of our Christian life. Uh, did several trips to Haiti uh, where we were drilling water wells and working with the churches. and. Again, that was a ministry out of this church. We went to the University of Heritage Baptist Church, and the, uh, the work was sponsored from this church. Um, I've made a couple of trips to Belarus, basically uh, working with some orphanages, and, and that all derived from the, the Belarusian ministry that's part of this church, Heritage Baptist. Uh, like I say, uh, Pastor... Uh, Lifestone Baptist, which was a work out of this church, Heritage Baptist. And uh, so there's been a quite a lot of, of work that I did. I eventually went to work for the Southern Baptist as a missionary here in West Virginia. I worked for 15 years as a Southern Baptist missionary, working with most all the churches in the state of West Virginia. Been there, but most of the latter years in the ministry, has been in the country of Uganda. I think to date I made 23 trips to Uganda. And uh, again, and this is what I want to stress to you this morning before I say anything else, because you need to, if, if this doesn't get conveyed, if this doesn't to you, much of what this video, much of this school, much of this work that you see has been supported and sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church. And sometimes, you know, and I, not being a member here, not being here, sometimes I worry that that message doesn't come, come out as strongly as it needs to, that, that that point needs to be made. You know, in the first years when I started taking teams to, to Uganda, that was, that was some really, really, really difficult work and planning and, and ministry and uh, of course it takes money and it takes finances and it takes a lot of prayer and support to do that and uh, there was very few if any at all times that I didn't get on a plane to take off to Uganda that a big part of the, the support I had to get there and do the work that we did came from Heritage Baptist Church so I, I want to tell you thank you for that and now uh don't know how much Trevor you and Haley talk it up, but <laughs> you know when y'all did the mission trip, what in two years or three years now? It's been two years since you've been there. That was probably one of the crowning moments of anything <laughs> that I got to be part of, because I wasn't on that trip that you all were on, and and somebody else was carrying the torch, and and obviously they got a love for the ministry and and their help with every day operation of for him in Africa is, is really important. So just want to tell you thank you. Uh, I want you to know and understand that sometimes when a church gets involved in missions, 
and uh, it'll look it'll look, look a little different than maybe you think it is, or it, it might there might be more involved than what you thought to be involved in your church being involved in a mission, but it, it's still that same outcome. God uses all all the people, the Christians, our talents, our, our money, our energy, and He brings it all together for His glory. And we see lives changed. And, you know, if I wanted to start talking, maybe we would sit down and start telling stories about what has come from this ministry. Uh, you, Some of us, you would just stand amazed at what God has done. And so thanks again. I, I'm, I'm really, really hoping that Heritage will continue to, to be a sponsor of the work to get more involved. Uh, obviously, you have a lot of children now, and so... Maybe that'll ensure at least another 30 or 40 years <laughs> of people doing the ministry. So anyways, that's that's a little about who I am, where I came from. And, and again, uh, my roots has always been at Heritage. My, my prayers has always been for Heritage to make this, uh, you know, to, to be part of this community and, and West Virginia and around the world. And as far as I'm concerned, God has blessed us with that because you have been and you continue to be that church. And so I'm, I'm very happy about that. All right. Let's get on to something a little different. Um, if you will, got your Bibles, you want to turn to the book of Romans. I'm going to be very, uh, I'm going to skip a little bit, move around a little bit here. So uh, if you just get to the book of Romans about the first chapter and and we'll do that, and we'll see where we land that on the other side. The book of Romans, and again, I think of all the letters that Paul wrote, probably the, the book of Romans is probably the one book that we as Christians may relate to more than any other because it shows maybe the worst uh, of, of the Christian condition, and it shows the path and the way to be the best of the uh, of the the circumstances and situation that God puts us in. So, if you look at the Book of Romans overall, Paul wrote this. Probably, uh, it's assumed that he was in Corinth when he wrote the book, and he he wrote it addressing a situation he wanted, and, and we know he did get to Rome but he was addressing a situation that was causing problems there, and that was uh, the Jewish believers in Rome were, were still very legalistic. They were still very much uh, trying to count on the law, and the, the Gentile believers in Rome had, no, had never had the law or had, had access to it, and they seemed to be thriving they seemed to be going well there was a, a man named claudius that was a leader at the time he actually kicked the jewish people out out of rome for trying to to preach the gospel too much or to trying to to convert people too much and it was a, it was a really weird situation he sent them away but at the time, there were still Gentile believers there, and the Gentile believers continued to meet, and they continued to grow. Well, when the Jewish believers came back to Rome, 
they were upset about the whole situation because uh, I, it kind of leads you to believe they looked and thought this shouldn't be happening because you don't have the Jewish believers here. You don't have the law here, and so this can't happen. So Paul writes to them, and, and the book is kind of divided up in three sections. He writes directly to the Jewish believers. And then in the, in the middle, he writes kind of directly to the Gentile believers. And then the last of it, he combines the two of them. So given the idea that people without the law can grow closer to the Lord and people who follow the law don't have that same relationship, even though the opportunity is there, it's a, it's a strong, strong message to believers. When you think about us as the church, when you think about who we are, probably the one stumbling block for the church or maybe the, the most difficult part for the church is for us to work out of a, a more relationship based message rather than a legalistic message you say well we don't you know we don't follow the law here well you might not follow the law as basic as this but christians tend to want to set up rules and regulations for how they put things together and sometimes that can look a lot like the law and uh, so it's really good for us to to learn and to understand how the relationship with christ through the holy spirit changes who we are so paul starts out in in the the first chapter i'm gonna read to you at chapter one starting in verse uh i want y'all to look at this this is pitiful don't run me off okay <laughs> i work a couple days a week as a chaplain at the prison and the bible that i usually teach and preach out of is at the prison right now <laughs> And we're doing remodeling at the house, so every Bible that I own is in a storage building over here. And this is my wife's Bible, and I about told her this morning, I don't know if you're a Christian or not, she can't even read this thing. But, so it, it, it's pink, I, I don't have a problem, Betty, I, I really, I'm okay. But anyway, if you see me struggling, that's where we're at today. So anyways, I'll start in um, verse 16, chapter 1. And Paul makes this comment. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. This is a this concept, this idea of, of, of salvation, and Paul's statement here, we really have to, to look at this as kind of the meat uh, of the book the idea we have this this i guess sometimes it can be a notion that we we form on our head about the gospel and what the gospel is but very seldom do people really consider what the gospel the full full impact of the gospel and, and where the gospel comes from i had a, and a reason to say this i had a class when i was in college and um can't remember the name of the class so much in the book, but what it was so amazing about it was, was it, it kind of laid out the gospel, and it started in Genesis, and it worked all the way through to the cross, and it, it tied everything into 
to what the gospel, the idea was. We know the gospel, the word, the meaning, the good news. And so, you know, for that reason, if I said, well, you know, what's the gospel? You say, what's, well, the gospel's the good news. And I say, okay, what's the good news then? And you'd say, the good news is we were desperately in trouble because we could not make it to heaven. We couldn't have a relationship with God. And so, therefore, through Jesus Christ, God gave us a way to have that relationship. And that is so, so important for, for the Christian, for the church to just cling to that idea and that thought process. You know, it was us that was separated from God. You know, in the garden, when, when sin come around, it come to this point where God had to separate himself from man. And, and the problem being is, is that God could not be in that relationship or God could not be surrounded by sin. It just couldn't happen. I, I give the analogy a lot of times that it's like taking a, a clear glass of water and pouring some salt in it. And if you thought that God was that crystal clear, clean water, and then you took salt, which was sin, and you put it in the water, the water becomes salty. And so therefore, if God's that clear water, he can't have no sin. And so therefore, if we're sinful, we can't have that relationship and we know that the Bible teaches in the book of John that, that it's a spiritual connection that we got to God and it just can't happen. So we were forever hopelessly separated by God. So when we think about what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he basically took the salt out of the water. He gave us the opportunity for that connection back to God and he put us together. And so what's the good news? The good news is, is there's hope now. And, and God... This, this idea, too, comes from this idea, uh, and I'll read on here in verse 17, for in, in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as written, the righteous will live by faith. And then this, this glue or this connection, first I would like you to, for, for whatever I say this morning, I would like you to use this definition, righteous in right standing with God. Okay, so if I say the word righteous or give you the idea of righteous, I want you to think it's being in right standing with God because before we were not in right standing with God. It wasn't possible. So this idea that we can now be in right standing with God because of the gospel, and Paul lays this out, is a, good, is a great idea. But here is the kicker to this. The kicker is, is all of this, every building block, every part of this is constructed on this idea of faith. We have to believe that it is that way. We have to believe that we're in right standing in God. We have to believe that Jesus Christ died for us and for that reason we can have that relationship. We have to believe that because of that, God sent the Holy Spirit, and we have to believe that through the Holy Spirit that we can live in relationship, and all of this kind of blends together and mixes and just keeps coming together over this idea of faith, that we do believe these things. So God gave us an opportunity to be reunited, to be connected with him, which is our salvation, that is that process that we call the gospel the good news 
and it com comes completely by our ability to believe that, to know in our heart that that's the way that that goes. So in this first chapter, it's, uh, it's amazing. Paul brings up this, it, it's, um, it's a montage of the worst of the worst. He, he goes on to, to explain this, this condition, this situation, where with sinful nature is, is ruling people's lives, and he, he paints this picture, and we see so much of what today is, the, is make sure I don't say this wrong, don't put this <laughs> too, too harshly, but maybe it's the curse of the Christian life. And uh, you have to really, truly, you have to understand this. We as Christians have one truth that makes us different from the rest of the world, and that is we're forgiven. And we Christians, no matter how hard, no matter how much we want to think otherwise, we, until we take the last breath on this earth, we will be sinful by nature. It's not going to change, folks. It, it, as long as you're in this flesh, as long as carnality is part of your condition, until you take your heavenly flight, leave this body behind and leave this situation alone, you are in a sinful nature. So you are, as everyone else in the world, you are this sinful creature. I don't let this upset you because you remember I started this off by saying if you're a Christian this morning, you're forgiven. <laughs> and now I like the amen because now you start to see how that works out with this whole idea of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because there's the power of salvation. I'm not ashamed of the idea because I know I'm sinful and I know I need something to change with that situation and it happens all the time now i i want to keep pushing in this idea so just just hang with me a second but i do want you to go to chapter two and i, I want to show something to you i'm not going to go through all the sins all the, the parts that man finds himself being a part of but i want to show you what paul says here in chapter two now now paul starts it out with the word therefore, which is basically saying everything that he said about this sinful condition, he said that to say this to you. I said that to say this. Therefore, any one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same thing. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on truth. Do you really think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same that you will escape God's judgment? That's a question, folks. That's what Paul's laying out to you. Do you really think that you, now wait a minute, you remember what I just told you, you living in this body, this sinful person, this 
this person with a sinful nature, if you do the same thing, that you're going to escape God's judgment. So if you see and judge those acts of other people in, in the light of this, you see where Paul's going with this. You see where I'm going with this this morning. But here's what I want you to see. Verse 4. Or do you despise, now listen to this really closely, folks. Do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing, now listen closely, that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You know, that verse, the first time that I really hold on that, really thought about the situation with, with, with people in general, with the church. And I just thought, you know, how many times have we been caught up in our life of looking at other people, which basically is probably a judgment, of looking at sinful conditions and situations in other people's life. And we look at that and we begin to condemn that idea of what's going on. You know, uh, when I was young, and you don't see it a lot anymore. People, sometimes they want to cling to it, sometimes they don't. But used to be, if you went to church on Sunday morning, you would have a pastor that would sit up here and thump on this Bible until his hands would be tired right on the bottom, and he would send you to hell all Sunday morning. <laughs> it was just the way it was. I, I've been in prison ministry for years, been involved in it for years and years, and used to go to go down and sit in a prison setting like Mount Olive of the maximum security, a lot of people in there, and every time one of these old-time pastors would come in to, to preach, it'd be the same message, the same thing, the same going on. And when you start reading this and you get to thinking, Lord, don't you recognize that it was God's patience, his kindness, his love for you that made the difference in your life, that made the change in your life. And, and then all of a sudden we got to start to look at us and what we think and how we see and how, how we look at other people and we think that, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of salvation, that's what Paul's saying. And then sit and think, what is the gospel? It's the good news because of the gospel we can be in right standing with God or be righteous. And with that idea and with that thought process put into place, that we look at other people who can have the same salvation that we do, it all starts to be building on this. And then sometimes we forget that the only roadblock to that happening is how we look and treat the person in need of that salvation. And it, it's hard sometimes. Now, don't get me wrong. Let me, let me throw this out to you. I am not in any way this morning sitting here thinking that the church in somehow or some shape or form should condone sinful nature or that we should reward sinful nature or that there isn't a way or an ability or a place that God gave us to call out sinful nature. But what we have to see is, is until we realize our condition and why we are not in that condition, we will never be able to appreciate their condition and how they get from their condition to where our condition is. And if you want to pat yourself on the back, don't do it quite yet because you're still a sinful person who is what? Forgiven, absolutely. So that's the way it all lays out. So I want to just kind of skip real far here because I know I'm going to run out of time really quick. So uh, I want to jump over. Go over to chapter um, 
Let's just go to chapter seven. This is the easiest way to easiest way to do this. I thought I'd get there a little quicker, but I didn't do. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna read. Let me let me read to you, and then then we'll talk about this just a little bit. Chapter seven, verse one. Since I am speaking to those who understand the law, Paul. Remember again, we're we're in the part of the book of Romans where he's addressing the Jewish believers. Okay, and he says, since I am speaking to those who understand law. Brothers, are you unaware that has authority over someone as long as he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then, if she gives herself to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. Then, if she gives herself... To another man, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, there we go again with that word. I say that to say this. Therefore, my brothers, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah, so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh... That's, that's that sinful nature. The sinful passion operated through the law in every part of us and bore fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Verse 7. What should we say then is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known that it, it is to, what it is to covet if the law had said, do not covet. And sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang into life and I died. The commandment was meant for life, resulted in death for me. You remember, if you go back to the book of Genesis, God gave the Jewish people the Ten Commandments. And he said, here's the law. And he said, if you follow this law and you don't break any of these commandments, I will consider you in right standing. I will consider you righteous. But then he says, but if you break any part of the law, and then you're guilty. And so for everyone involved, this was, this was exciting. This was a great idea because God had given them a way to become righteous, and all they had to do was follow the law. And this was amazing until one thing become evident, and it was that because we're sinful people, that <laughs> this wouldn't work because we couldn't follow the law. And so this is the part where, folks, we all look at each other. We all say we are hopelessly lost. Now, I want you to think about this for me, and I want you to put this in your mind this morning. No one, this is a pretty bold statement, but I, I have worked on this for most of my adult life. <laughs> no one will ever get saved 
until they realize they're lost. Amen. Amen? Boy, I'm glad y'all agree with that. I, <laughs> I hate it. Does everybody shave their heads here? <laughs> I was standing over on this side with these guys. But anyway, no one will, no one will, will come to, to, to be saved that first don't know that they're lost. Now, the reason I want to bring this up to you, because I'm want i I'm not going to get political with you this morning, because I would love to get political with you. I spend way too much time wasting my time on what's wrong with the world these days. <laughs> so, so, anyways, but I do want to say this. Our country, and, and, and again, and forgive me this, our country is getting in really, really bad shape right now. And, and and I don't say this in an individual judgment and just a, it's an ideal, it's a fact. But what's happening in our country right now is, is what we're reading right here. And that is this idea that man can be inherently good. And it's not possible. It's not possible. And so therefore, those who are making decisions about how we do things in this country right now have this whole idea where given the opportunity, you're going to pick the right thing. And what does Paul say here? He says, I wouldn't have known it was wrong to covet unless the law said it was wrong to covet. But just as soon as I learned that it was wrong to covet, all I wanted to do was covet. <laughs> that was my whole life. That sounds like a bunch of people that don't have a problem with sin, right? <laughs> that was the way it was all spelled out to us. It was like, that's who we are. That's why God gave us the law, because as soon as we realize that. And so I love his question. His question basically was, does that mean that the law was bad? Because if we hear the law, we're going to sin. And he says, no, it means it's good, because if we hear the law and sin, and then at some point we're going to have to reach up and say, Lord, I'm hopelessly lost. Would you please save me? And that's what brings us all to that situation. To know that we need to be in right standing with God and to know there's not a way to get there other than the power of Jesus Christ's blood on the cross. No other way to get there, to know that, and then to know what's good and what's bad, and to realize that once you learn what's good and bad, you, you have to pick what's bad because you're still living in that sinful condition, and somewhere you say, I'm hopelessly lost, and it has to be that way. You know, this next part of this, I'll do this real fast because I think I'm out of time, way past out of time, but I do want to finish this. To, to read this to you, I really believe that when Paul was writing chapter 7, it wasn't Paul having a, a calm talk or, or trying to pass on the law. I believe he was pouring his heart out in this letter. I believe that he was doing what all of us did, do it one time or another is to reflect on the condition of our life and our soul and who we are and what we are. So he goes on to write this, and let me do this, and, and then I'll, I'll end to this. It says in verse 13, Therefore did what was good cause my death. Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was produced in death in me through what is good. So that through the commandments, sin might become sinful beyond measure. For what we know that the law, for we know that the law is spiritual, 
but I'm made of flesh, sold into sin's power. Now, before you go past that verse really fast, this was a key verse in this, this chapter. It's a key verse in this whole letter. And sometimes we read past it too fast to go that. When he said that we know that the law is spiritual, that that kind of throws the responsibility on us because we are to be spiritual in our, in our lives. And too often, and I'm, let me just bring this in and collaborate this. I'll say the church. I could really, really name names and and, and point out people. And, and this would fit all of us, okay? We, we wouldn't, couldn't get mad about it, but I'll just say the church in general. Too often we don't realize this part of what's going on. You know, we, we build fences in our yard to, to, to keep things in and, and things out. People in, people out, whatever. We, we build fences, we build walls to make sure we do that. But sometimes we have to take the fences and the walls down and whatever it was intended, the purpose of the fence was for, that has to change until it becomes the nature of who we are. So if you want to continue letting the law control your movements or to, to guide you up and down the road, then you're missing the gift, what God gave us in the Holy Spirit, that it's a spiritual thing. For now, if you remember, you know, if you just looked at the eighth and ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews, we know that, that it clearly says, well, if we went to the sixth chapter of the book of Romans, it, that God wrote his laws on our heart. He put it in our mind. So therefore, the way that we act and what we do, God put it inside of us, not out there as a fence in, in front of us to stop it. It's no longer a physical law, it's a spiritual law because we know that within us we have a Holy Spirit and if we rely on that Spirit's guidance then we can curb that sin that is destroying our lives and destroying those around us. So when Paul says that, that's where we have to look at this and say there is a way that we can live not completely sin free but there's a way we can live without the law and, and can please God with what we're trying to do. So he says, for I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I would want to do, but I do what I don't or do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in the flesh. For desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to, but I practice the evil that I do not want to. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it. Listen to this. But if it is sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of mine and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. And Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue the kingdom of the praise team? 
Uh, who, what a wretched man I am. So Paul says, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I do not want to, I, I do that. And I find that there's a war within me. The sinful part of me wants to do me, but the right part of me, the spiritual part of it, wants to do what's right. And this battle continues on and on. That's why I'm saying I think Paul is pouring out his heart on here. And he calls himself a wretched man. He says, I am a wretched man. Look, look I've got this problem. I can't fix it. And I'm sitting there thinking of everything I read about Paul. And if he's having that struggle, I'm a pretty low down person myself. <laughs> I, I'm having a time. But here's the thing about that. Paul, knowing now what we know, that the law was never intended to bring righteousness, but the law was only intended to bring us to the place where we had to go looking for righteousness. And knowing that everyone that we deal with in our life has to deal with the same thing we deal. So Paul says, let's don't judge them, but let's remember it was God's patience with us that got us to where we are so we can have that same patience with them. We can have that same attitude with them. But then Paul says, really, you don't have to be there. You know, in the 13th, 14th, 15th chance, whatever book of John, you get a chance to read that. It's so amazing how Jesus lays out this idea that he's not leaving us alone. He's not going to make us have to do all this on our own. And so that becomes a real comfort to most people. But here's what I end this with, uh, and it's kind of funny because Paul said there in 24, he said, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this dying body? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that with my mind I myself am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. So Paul says, What will I do about the situation? What I'll do about the situation is I thank God through Jesus Christ who gave me an opportunity to change what I couldn't change on my own. And I give you this. I always said that verse 1 of chapter 8 should have been verse 26 of chapter 7 because the break's a little bit different. But I want you to think about what he says in chapter 8, verse 1 then. Therefore, I said all of that to say this. No condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. You know, this morning, as I tell you this, I want you to understand something. I meant what I said about our country is getting worse and worse and worse as it goes on. And I wanted you to understand that the church has a responsibility to reach those with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to, to witness and to testify and to help people find out that they are lost and they need that. But when the church goes to look for that, we have to go with the idea that we're only righteous because of what Jesus Christ done for us. And we can't change that. We can't change that. We are not sinless. We're just forgiven. We're in that. And then we always gotta remember what Paul said. We can't go to others in condemnation we got to go to the other love and the patience and the kindness for what that's what changed our life. It wasn't because someone run you down and, 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 and treated you terrible and showed you everything. It was because somebody showed you how much God loved you that started to change your mind 
to make that decision in their life. But yet still today, there's some folks might be sitting in here this morning that hasn't came to those initial truths. First, I'm a sinner. I can't do anything about that situation, so I'm hopeless. And second, God loved me so much that he gave his son to die on the cross, and that's that good news, that gospel that can change everything in my life. And third is, when I make that choice to inject Christ, I'm for, I am now following a spiritual law and not a physical law, and that law is, is that in your heart, God will place a Holy Spirit that will be with you for the rest of your life so that as you live your life, you'll be able to make choices or to, to have the choice in front of you how to live this life with an empowerment from God that will change everything. So as we close this morning, I want to just give anyone here that opportunity. If you do or have in some time in your life realized that you were lost, or maybe this morning as you think about this, well, I am lost and I can't fix the problem. Remember what I told you back in chapter one of the book of Romans? That it's the righteousness, but the righteousness will live by faith. The decision you need to make this morning to get to that righteousness, if you are hopelessly lost, is to believe. Not only to believe that God sent his son to die for you, but to believe that he did that because he loves you, and to believe that merely believing is enough for him to save you and to change your whole life. So I'm going to pray, and they're going to do this, and, and I'll give you a couple minutes or whatever we need. And if someone has that need, maybe it's not, maybe it's not salvation this morning. Maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe you need to join this church. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to change. This is your invitation this morning, and I, I ask that you go ahead and make that move this morning. Make yourself happy. Make me happy. Make God happy. And, and just change your life for the better. So as we finish up, let me pray, and then you'll have an opportunity to come forward. Father, we love you. We thank you, God. I thank you for this opportunity this morning. I thank you for each person here. Now, Lord, I know that we don't know. You do, Lord, every heart in this place. But I know, Lord, that there are folks who have not made it right, have not made the situation to believe. And Father, I know that you've given us that opportunity, but Lord, so, Lord, that you want us to make the right decision. We love you for that, Lord. So Lord, please just touch what heart you need to touch this morning. Give that opportunity. If there's someone needs to come, help them to make that decision and come forward. Lord,